Welcome to Terrible, the podcast where two friends discuss true crime stories in hopes to prepare themselves for life's most terrible things. Quick disclaimer, the following podcast will include graphic and explicit content. Our goal is to respect victims and their families. We do not want to sensationalize crimes or glorify criminals. We are not experts. We want to tell these stories in order to learn from them and make sure victims and their families are not forgotten. I'm Renee, a longtime true crime enthusiast. Marie, on the other hand, has recently delved into all that is true crime. We both believe that once you watch or listen to your first true crime case, there's no going back. So let's do this. Let's dive into some updates. So I mentioned it last week, but we uh, got a brand new puppy. And yes, his name is Ollie. He's doing so great. He's Um, so fluffy. He's so so cute. (laughs) He's been really calm and quiet so far, which I'm not expecting it to last very long. But we're enjoying the puppy stage right now and things are going really well. I I feel like it's a pretty big purchase. So I feel like before you get a dog, you're thinking like, "Eh, are we really ready? Can we do this? (laughs) So far, so good. So far, we feel like... Like we have a handle on it all so he's crying a lot at night which is i think understandable he doesn't love the crate but we're trying really hard to crate train him so yeah and uh pamela did mention it when we had our episode with her but i do have a cat as well that i hadn't talked about before and her name is rosie and she's she's quite upset with us there's been many a hissing and growling noises coming from her we, we anticipate she'll get used to it she mm-hmm. grew up living with a dog but as of right now not a happy camper and ollie's done absolutely nothing to her but of course <laughs> she's just very upset yeah and he's a shy puppy it's not like he's like running around terrorizing the house today she like ventured downstairs and i think you know it's gonna take a while maybe like by the end of maybe by our next recording i'll tell you that they're best friends that's my hope But I don't know if that's going to happen. And then, yeah, so a lot of just like watching this puppy play and then sleep and then play and then sleep. So I've been watching some Law and Order while he's sleeping and I don't have to pay too much attention to him. Mm -hmm. I know it's like an OG crime show, but I never really started it or got into it. Anyway, I love a good crime show, so it's been keeping me busy. And uh, it has a lot of seasons, right? So. Yeah, so many seasons. I think I started at season 10 because it was the only one available on Amazon Prime that I could start at. Yeah. But even then, I think they're like into like their 20s. So there's so many seasons. And then, yeah, I feel like we could like like a shows like what shows or podcasts are listening to so i figured i'd mention that drag race like rupaul's drag race is just like my happy show like i i love it it brings me so much joy every friday it comes out and i just snuggle in and i just watch it and i'm just i just love a drag queen i really have to go to like a live drag queen we have to we have to i know I can't believe we haven't done it yet. I know, like, honestly, knowing us, I'm surprised we haven't too. So this summer, we are going to go for sure. While I'm home in Ottawa, we're going to a live drag queen performance. Yeah, we'll, we'll put it on our bucket list for the summer. I just feel like I would just live my best life at a drag queen show. <laughs> yeah. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> We've been working on our merch. Mm-hmm. So I've had a surprisingly a lot of time between when the puppy sleeps and stuff so i've been thinking about it and looking into it and we're gonna drop an etsy store with some of our merch on it so we've ordered both of ours we both designed certain things and we've ordered some samples to make sure they're good quality and everything we're gonna release our merch and open an etsy merch store yeah i think it'll be fun and it's nice to have something a little bit customized to what we're doing so i think it's a good idea yeah we're going for like more of a simplistic look sweaters and t-shirts and whatever but things that you could wear every day that won't just be like kind of like in your face like Mm -hmm. This is my podcast that I listen to. 
like exactly it's just subtle but cute and yeah. cozy and just like a very like you know kind of like quarantine stay at home cozy vibe yeah we're it's all still in there exactly <laughs> it's not like Abercrombie and Fitch vibes where like the logo <laughs> is ginormous and on everything it's very simplistic and cozy yeah, exactly and if you like the show and have merch ideas feel free to dm us because we can really customize like we said so mm-hmm. if there's something that you're wanting or you're interested in and you think would be a good idea in general and you just would like to see it on our etsy store just send us a message on our social media at terrible true crime and we can definitely look into it and finally on my updates this is our 10th episode Woo-hoo! happy 10th episode yeah, happy 10th episode <laughs> that's so exciting i know i feel i honestly feel like there's way more than 10 i don't know why yeah. but i feel like we've been doing this for years <laughs> but yeah i'm really proud of us we've killed it we did I it this every time i get so excited every thursday so maggie edits the podcast like i mentioned before and she's like oh you can check it out on like our youtube before it like releases on thursday yeah, i'm like please always I like, wait <laughs> i'm like please listen to it just to make sure like i didn't miss anything because i watch it so many times over and over that i probably just zone out in some spots <laughs> but renee always literally watches it when it goes live and it drives me I, crazy because i'm so I, scared refresh my my <laughs> podcast app maggie's a big like youtube like documentary person i'm a big just like straight podcast person so i'm just always just refreshing waiting until it (laughs) drops and i listen to it and every time i do i just like we're texting each other like i'm so proud of you this was such a good episode like anyway i'm just proud of us we're just I feel like we're doing very well. Yeah, and 10 episodes released like one every week. So we haven't slacked on that end either. Yes, that's true. We've committed and we've just gone for it. Mm -hmm. And speaking of me being the YouTube gal, the way I got into true crime, as you guys probably already know, is through a recommendation on on a YouTube channel. The YouTube channel was JCS Criminal Psychology. So it was all videos that was based on interrogations of true crime cases. And they would pretty much show the whole interrogation and pause it and just explain the whole psychology behind it and I just loved that I loved watching the interrogations themselves because I thought it was so fascinating and this YouTube channel has so many followers so many views so they have 4.8 million subscribers and their best video had 60 million views so they had a lot of a lot of views and I just found out that they won't be continuing So yeah, pretty much because YouTube keeps taking down their videos and since they're not getting any ad revenue because it's, I I guess they say it, it violates the guidelines of YouTube. So it takes, yeah. So it takes them so long to put together these videos and they're not really getting anything out of it and videos are being taken down. So it's official JCS criminal psychology. No. Yeah. Make a podcast. I know. They, I think they have a Patreon, but I don't know how much they upload on it. Cause I've seen some comments that they say they don't upload too often, but yeah. So that's a, my bummer of the week. Do you have a not bummer of the week? No, <laughs> not really. <laughs> Before we get started, I just want to take a second to thank one of our Instagram followers, Diane LeBold, who gave us a shout out on her story. We're still a very small podcast and all shares really help us. So if you're enjoying the show, please share this episode or any past episode on your social media and we will repost it. Um, also, if you can give us a review on whatever platform you're listening and leave us a comment, it really helps. So thank you. Okay, let's get into this week's case. So the idea for this case came from another podcast I was listening to called True Crime Obsessed. They covered documentary 
documentaries, so it's one of my favorites because I don't always love to watch TV, as I just mentioned, and now I don't have to watch them because the podcast literally covers the entire documentary. That's all they do, and the two hosts are, are hilarious, and they're great. Uh, their names are Jillian and Patrick, so if you haven't listened to them, I mean, they're way bigger than us. Not like I'm giving them a shout-out, but I just really recommend it for entertainment value. The episode I'm talking about is their episode 222, and they cover a documentary called While He Was Sleeping. During the episode, they mentioned that the perpetrator of the crime uses specific defense in trial after he commits a murder. They reference a Canadian case as being one of the first people to use this defense. And obviously, I immediately got on Google and started researching because like, it's- is this yes. case it's so abnormal and strange and i just thought like okay we have to cover this so i'm going to tell you about the canadian case that's connected to this american case and then i'll do kind of a little shallow dive into the american case that's covered in while he was sleeping the sources for this week are a couple wikipedia pages an article from psychology today a mental floss article by matt soniak an article in the durham region newspaper an article in the edmonton journal by andy ogle a medium article by parita shala an episode of Dark Poutine called The Homicidal Sleepwalker, and obviously, as I just mentioned, the True Crime Obsessed episode 222 that covers while he was sleeping. Okay, I homicidal sleepwalker, that's really creepy to me already. Oh, I guess I'm totally giving it away. Honestly, at the end, when I finally finished and I was like, it's perfect, I was like, oh no, I don't think Maggie's going to have a good time with <laughs> no. this after we're done recording. Renee, it's Monday tomorrow, I'm not going to sleep, I'm going to have a shitty day. I know, I literally thought, I was like, it's great, and I was so excited, and I was like, oh like, no, wait I just second. really feel like Maggie is going to really be upset after this one <laughs> anyway i'm gonna start off by saying when we started this podcast i really wanted to focus a lot on victims we'll cover some canadian serial killers but i didn't want to like go at that right off the bat because i don't want to focus on like the early lives of the serial killers and this and that and their background story this is not really what this podcast is about we really want to focus on the victims like we say every week but this story is really strange so so we're kind of going to go about this a different way. It's also because there's very little to no information about the victim in this case. And I'll get into it, but I just want to start by saying it's going to be a different kind of model or, or sequence of events than our usual cases. So I'm going to tell you about the early life of Kenneth Parks. From what I gather, Kenneth was born in Ontario, I think the GTA, Greater Toronto area. When he was four years old, his father abandoned the family. He didn't have a good relationship with his stepfather, so he eventually moved in with his grandmother. He dropped out of high school in 11th grade, and he met his future wife, Karen Woods, soon after. Karen was described as kind of a troubled youth or like a runaway by her parents, I believe, or family members. I feel like t this is kind of a, a loose description because this could mean something different to different families. Mm -hmm. but anyway, that's that's what I got and uh, for my research. And it's reported that Karen's parents were very happy with Kenneth because he sort of straightened her out, I guess, kind okay. of got her on the right path or on the path that her parents thought she should have been on. When he was 21 years old, him and Karen get married. So young, 21 years yeah. old. Ugh. Yeah. Not that people don't get married at 21 and they are in happy, long-lasting relationships. I just can't think of myself at 21 and think of myself getting married I at know, 21. Right? Yeah. And like I my heart starts beating and my anxiety starts <laughs> racing. So in 1987, the couple had their first home and that they had bought in Pickering, Ontario, and had a five-month-old daughter. So they had just recently had a baby girl. Ken worked for an electronics company, and Karen was, I'm sure, very busy taking care of their new little girl. Ken is described as having many friends. 
kind of like a gentle giant type of guy, and it's reported that he would occasionally drink and smoke weed and maybe dabble in some stronger drugs, which is is not that abnormal no. of a description, I thought. So it sounds like a nice family, right? Yeah. So far, so mm-hmm. good. Well, as we know, things are not always as they seem. Kenneth was struggling with a gambling addiction. He had recently spent the entirety of the family's savings betting on horse racing. Oh my god, that's painful. It's I just not so imagine. hard. Like when you trust someone to share. Yeah. Like, I think like a lot of people think like, oh, getting married sounds so nice. Like you're really entrusting this person with mm-hmm. everything. Like you really, like literally, you really everything. have to trust this person. And the thing at 21, getting married so young, is there's so much growing left to do. Mm-hmm. Kenneth had also been fired because he had embezzled from the electronics company he worked for when he needed even more money to keep gambling. Apparently, his wife and coworkers were shocked. So this was not something that they were expecting knew yeah. or knew of. Yeah, exactly. It sounds like the gambling addiction hadn't been a lifelong struggle. He went to the horse races one day and just fully dove right into it, which I feel like is almost scarier because you're like at any time, like any type of addiction can just hit your partner or your loved one. And you're pretty much completely blindsided blindsided and like useless in a way because what Mm -hmm. are you supposed to do yeah especially if they're hiding things from you so the situation of the parks family sounds very stressful yeah i don't like it financial problems are just so stressful and the couple has a new child they have bills to pay they have a new home what are they supposed to do now yeah like what are the next steps here because that's a whole lot of issues going on i feel overwhelmed and i'm not Mm -hmm. even close to into this scenario yeah so i can't imagine being in karen's position gambling addiction is a real problem but because it came on so suddenly and you're not expecting it like i'm sure she wants to support her husband but at the same time you have normal money a newborn child and none of that is on you it's nothing based on the decisions that you've made it's solely based on your husband's decisions and the decisions he made behind your back. Yeah. He forged her signature on stuff to be able to spend the amount of money. I don't know how you recover from that kind of betrayal. And I no. know that gambling addiction is something that I don't necessarily fully understand and I won't claim to. But, oh man, the pain that must have caused her. I can't imagine being in Karen's yeah. position. I don't see how you could trust your partner after something like that. It's one thing for you to spend all of your money and for me to be yeah. like, hey, like, I'm going to get you help and we'll figure it out mm-hmm. and whatever. It's one thing for you to spend the entire family's money. Like, it's not just you. It's It's your wife and it's your newborn baby we're not going to even pretend to fully understand gambling addiction we're just saying that this sucks all around Mm -hmm. so the couple had been fighting obviously you know this would just come from the kind of situation they're in the stress they're under but at least kenneth had been attending meetings for his gambling addiction so now that you have a bit of background information on kenneth and the events leading up to the crime i'm gonna go ahead and tell you about may 23rd 1987 Kenneth and Karen argued because Karen wanted Kenneth to tell his family, specifically his grandmother, about the issues that they were having. So like I mentioned, his grandmother basically raised him, and Karen thought it was really important to kind of involve family and let them know what was going on, which I totally agree if you're Mm -hmm. in a situation like this where you're about to go bankrupt, you have to get rid of the house or sell the house to basically stay afloat, like 
you you need to rely on family in these situations. Yeah, you need all the support you can get. So they had planned to also tell Karen's parents the next day. So I think they just really wanted to get it all out of the way and tell kind of the important people in their lives what they were dealing with. But instead of doing this, Kenneth decided he wanted to go out and play rugby with some friends. So not the right decision, Kenneth. No. Not the right decision. Like not only are you doing all of this, but then you're like, no, I'm spending the day with the boys. <laughs> Saturdays for the boys. What do you mean? <laughs> I play rugby. <laughs> no, like... Kenneth, you spent all of our money. Go and tell your grandma we need help. <laughs> so, um, obviously, probably pissed off that evening, Karen goes to bed around midnight and she planned the next day that they were supposed to head to her parents' house to again tell them about all the issues that they were having. So, Karen goes to bed, like I mentioned, and now because it's midnight, we're on to May 24th. So, the following day, the very early hours. Kenneth is watching Saturday Night Live and he falls asleep on the couch around 1.30 a.m. There's different reports about what time he actually went to bed. I'm gonna go with 1.30 because it's the kind of the most common one I could find, but I just want to put that out there in case anyone's like, you're wrong. Well, I'm telling you, I don't know if I'm right, so. (laughs) (laughs) So he falls asleep, sitting on the couch, nice Saturday night, whatever. He then gets off of the couch and gets into his car. He drives 23 kilometers to his in-law's house in Scarborough. To do this, part of his drive includes being on a high-speed freeway. Like many of us, Kenneth's in-laws had entrusted a family member with a spare key to their home, you know, whether they have pets or they just need to have, like, some house sitting done. Usually someone has a spare key to your house or now with those new locks, they have kind of like the passcode to get into your house just in case. So Kenneth uses this key that had been given to his family from his in-laws to enter the home. He then grabs a sharp knife from the kitchen and heads into one of the bedrooms. He walks up to Dennis, his father-in-law, and begins to choke him. He then turns to Barbara, his mother-in-law, and begins to stab her. Okay, so uh, either stab her with the knife he grabbed from the kitchen or it's also reported that was a tire iron in there. Unsure where the tire iron would have come from. Once he's done the attack, he heads down to the kitchen and unplugs the phone. The couple had two teenage daughters and they're obviously freaking out. They can clearly hear the man grunting and walking through the house so no sound that Mm -hmm. makes any kind of sense seems to be coming out of his mouth but he's grunting right like there's just noises it just seems all strange it's unclear if they exactly know who this is at this point Um, i assume not really like yeah because you're not like opening your door to check like you're yeah i mean i can't imagine the fear and panic that Mm -hmm. these girls are feeling at this moment so kenneth then leaves the house covered in blood okay because he's just brutally attacked people he gets back into a car and drives himself to a nearby police station he walks into the police station he says i think i've just killed two people yeah so he literally kills people and then right after he's like okay let me turn myself in it's all weird right yeah because then like like, what's the point of killing them if you're just gonna what do you want to go to jail for the rest of your life and what's the motive here like i said earlier it seems like they had a good relationship his in-laws liked him they thought he was good for their daughter emergency services were dispatched to the home pretty much immediately after kenneth walked into the station when they arrive they find barbara who is 42 years old dead but thankfully dennis and the teenage girls are still alive a few hours later 
Kenneth identifies the bodies of the ones of his in-laws. He seems confused, though. He tells investigators that this was all his fault. Kenneth is immediately charged with murder and attempted murder and was sent to jail. While talking to investigators, Kenneth expressed that he couldn't believe what he had done. In preparation for his trial, Kenneth gets a full medical evaluation. He had had signs and symptoms of depression, had had a history of sleepwalking, they also did some tests on him while he was asleep. The EEG that he took while sleeping showed that his brain tried to wake him up instantly from a deep sleep as he was asleep, which is not very um, normal, like unless an alarm's going off or you're having a reason mm-hmm. to wake up. For your brain to try to wake you up while you're in a deep sleep is is kind of strange. Later on, it would come out that Kenneth's mom had caught him almost jumping out of a building that they were living in while sleepwalking. Oh, wow. Yeah, but this is coming from mom so mom loves her boy so yeah i'm not saying mom's a liar but no, mom no. Loves her boy. <laughs> kenneth's extended family had also had a history of sleepwalking and at this point surprisingly karen kenneth's wife whose mother was just murdered is fully supporting her husband which i feel like is so hard to comprehend like your okay, husband but- just killed your mom and, and just emptied your bank account Yes. Like one strike, two strikes, you're like, you're out. <laughs> you're just no, two. Don't, wait, don't wait for the third. No, you're out no, at two. At the Terrible Podcast, you have two strikes, you're done. Like that's, that's your role. second there one, you're done. Yeah. And like, I'm sorry, but murder counts as like 16 strikes maybe on Agreed. the scale of strikes. Like, I, yeah. it's just, <laughs> yeah. oh man, Karen, Karen, Karen you are really like number one supporter and like love that for you. But also I could never do that i feel like the comprehension of what has just happened must be so difficult to wrap your head around like how are you supposed to understand what has just happened and everything that involves it and then what comes out when we're going to talk about it more and get into it let's just get right into it because we need more information we need more yes so again you're probably wondering why we've been mentioning sleepwalking and or you already know and you're kind of thinking this guy is going to really claim at his trial that he was in fact asleep while committing the assault and murder that's Uh right kenneth is claiming and his defense team is claiming that he around 1 30 a.m wakes up gets into his car drives 23 kilometers to an in-laws, past a high-speed freeway, gets there, commits assault and murder, gets back into his car, I guess starts to wake up at some point, arrives at a police station, and then admits to the murder. Like, is that even doable as a sleepwalker? Like, are you really that functional? I don't know. Let me tell you, it's it's not very common. I have to say, like, when I first heard this, I was like, okay, that's a freaking load of BS. This guy's a murderer and, like, whatever. Like, do what you have to do to get yourself off if that's what you want to do. But But you're a liar. And then the more I get it, I'm like, ooh, I don't know. Okay, so let's talk sleepwalking. And this part is directly from the Medium article by Parita Shaula. Okay, so I'm just going to straight up read this because she's said it better than I could and it's really interesting information that I think we need to be able to move forward. Sleepwalking comes in many forms. In most cases, a sleepwalking person remains confined to their bedroom or room and mildly aware of their surroundings. They can navigate their apartment with closed eyes mostly due to habit and instinct. Okay, let's stop. Have I've never sleepwalked ever? You have? Yeah, when I was little. Yeah. You did? Yeah, when I was a kid. I used to sleepwalk pretty often too. Really? But I would, yeah, I would just go down the stairs to the living room like my parents were still awake and then they would just bring me back to bed and that was kind of it. But yeah. 
if I have a child that sleepwalks, I know I'm gonna be terrified. I'm getting an exorcist on it, like an exorcism or something. Like that would scare me so yeah. much as a parent to just like see your kid like completely out of it sleepwalking, like. And you're not supposed to wake someone up either because apparently they can get really aggravated and aggressive. So like that yes. just scares me even more. Oh, that's so freaky. I didn't know that yeah, about you. Yeah, I know. Have you done it at all like no. as an older? No, okay. No. So sleepwalking is usually nonviolent with two notable exceptions. Somnambulism mm-hmm. and RBD. RBD stands for REM sleep behavior disorder. These were two possible sleep disorders that Kenneth could have suffered from. Though very different, they both allow violence and coordinated actions like sleepwalking while holding a knife. Right? Because you're, you're thinking like one of these scenarios maybe like maybe you're sleepwalking but like adding sleepwalking to driving and then adding driving to grabbing a knife from the kitchen and then the assault and yeah. then unplugging the phone and then driving yourself to- it just feels like yeah so unplugging the phone too like that's wild sir like you're really trying to tell me that this one was like all while you were sleeping okay but why are you unplugging the phone if you're just gonna go turn yourself in i know but that's the issue with this it's it makes no sense no matter how like no matter what way you yeah. kind of look at it neither way fits so the type of aggression that kenneth displays is called somnambulism somnambulism on the other hand happens in a stage of the sleep cycle when the person is in extreme deep slumber any attempt to wake the person up would be ineffective resulting in aggression and violence which you just mentioned Mm -hmm. it's that old that old myth don't wake up a sleepwalker just guide them back to bed and let them you know kind of quote unquote fall back asleep the person might be able to navigate their surroundings due to habit but cannot perceive any signals or messages from their environment during sleepwalking the regions responsible for the coordination and integration of information from the surroundings the cerebral cortex and cerebrum show no activity so a sleepwalker has no consciousness they cannot actively make decisions about where to go or whether to hurt someone or not. Somnambulism patients cannot use their sense of vision, sight, smell, or understand their environment and cannot form memories while asleep. It's equivalent to being in a coma. A vegetative state where the person goes through sleep cycles is alive but not aware. So he wouldn't even be able to remember that he killed someone. That's what they're saying. They're saying that this is a real thing. Well, did you remember as a kid ever getting up and going downstairs? Like, I don't think most sleepwalkers ever remember. No ever what no, they've done because th- they're sleepwalking right like you're asleep mm-hmm. like it's not like i you know i don't when i go to sleep i don't remember what my sleep was like i just yeah. fell asleep and woke up the next day mm-hmm. in his defense a doctor testified as to his mental state at the time of the murder from the doctor's evidence it was determined that the accused kenneth was sleepwalking at the time of the incident and that he was suffering from a disorder of sleep rather than a neurological or psychiatric illness five neurological experts also confirm the theory that he was sleepwalking during the time of the incident it's just it's so strange because again like it doesn't make sense right it doesn't make sense for someone that's completely conscious to do all the things that he did but it also doesn't feel like it makes sense for someone who was sleepwalking to do all the things that he did so um one of the experts is called rosalind carwright and she uh talks in an article one that i i cited earlier in the case sources and i'm just gonna read kind of what her opinion on what happened so rosalind carwright is the director of sleep 
Sleep Disorder Service and Research Center at Rush Presbyterian St. Luke's Medical Center in Chicago at the time. It is rare, she agrees, but this is my third murder and I have about six other attempted ones, so it is not unheard of. An expert on sleep disorders, particularly those in which violent behavior occurs, Carwright has interviewed Parks in prison, so we're talking about Kenneth, read transcripts of his interviews with police, prescribed medication for him, and suggested other treatments. The story Parks tells is a very consistent one, she says. He fell asleep late one night watching TV, so he slept on the couch rather than upstairs in the bed with his wife. Probably because she was like, mm, you're on the couch, bye, there's no way you're coming in my bed. Yeah. After everything that they'd been going through. And he was unaware of waking up, getting up, or anything until he began to come to in his mother-in-law's house, seeing her face and the face looking as if though she needed some help. So if he was coming to when he saw her face looking as though she needed help, then he would have unplugged the phone. So he would have unplugged the phone while he was not sleepwalking. So that's just another element. I feel like that just doesn't really make sense. Yes. So what is this? So this is what you're telling me. You're telling me that you woke up pretty much as you're attacking your Mm mother-in-law. And then you're thinking, what, like, I'm confused. I just did this. I'm not going to, like, stop phone 911. I'm going to go downstairs, unplug the phone, get back into my car and think to myself, hmm, should I drive myself to the police station? And I think that's the thing with this case is either way, whatever way you look at it, it doesn't Mm -hmm. quite make sense, right? Like, whether you think you're guilty or innocent, it doesn't really make any sense. He then starts trying to organize some help for her, not really fully conscious or awake stumbles up on the stairs to try to find the phone. He can't manage the phone and tries to quiet the kids who were in the house. He thought he was calling out to them, kids, kids, so they would recognize his voice and not be frightened, but they would report only animal grunting-like noises that frightened them so they locked themselves in the bedroom. Which yeah, is don't blame what them. we mentioned earlier, right? They're like, uh, no. Like, I'm not opening my door. Well, which, and especially if he's yes. saying kids, kids, shouldn't he know, like, their so names? Is he awake at this point? Is he asleep at this point? Is he right. in between? Can you be in between? I guess so. Then he turned and went down the stairs, decided he had to drive to the police station to get help, and he did. Drove around the block, literally, to the police station, so it was a very short distance. He went in saying, I think I may have killed someone. I'm just going to say, like, my straight instinct, if you were to ask me in the town that I live in if I could drive to my police station, there's no way. <laughs> there's no, no way. Same here. Which, have you ever heard that when you're sleeping, it's, if you could tell between, like, being asleep and awake, is that you can't actually, like, read something in your sleep? So, attempt to, like, read something in your dream. Like, you can't actually, apparently, really? read in your dream or, like, you can't see numbers or letters. Like, okay, huh. I might be wrong, yeah. but I'm pretty sure that people have night terrors and stuff that's like one of the tactics that they might use but i know that you can't read like a piece of paper you can't read in your dream like something that says something interesting so i wonder this is pure speculation because i have no idea what i'm talking about but i wonder if like dialing 911 would have been hard what he's saying is true would have been hard which could explain why he was like screw it i'm gonna get into my car but then why unplug the damn phone i don't know then the police interrogation begins and after just a few minutes he asks for some painkillers and sees that his hands are very bloody and in fact they are badly and severely damaged by the knife wounds so he had walked in like covered in his in-laws blood but also had like knife wounds on both his hands he was rushed to the emergency room for surgery and his hands are still badly scarred and not really like as fully functioning as they used to be 
I wonder if he was holding the knife like by the blade. That's such a creepy That's sight. the only thing I can think of. And again, like as the mother-in-law's Barbara, if someone attacks you while you're in full sleep mode, the way you're ready to defend yourself is nowhere near as ready uh-uh. as if you are fully awake. Yeah. So that would track in the sense that if he's confused, he's holding the blade, he's trying to attack her. I'm not assuming that she grabbed the blade from his hands and fought back, although we don't know because he doesn't remember. But maybe yeah, she did. that's true. Hopefully she did, man, because this poor woman who just is probably Didn't do so anything. confused. And confused, like confused, I'm sleeping and you woke me up, I'm confused. I'm being attacked, I'm confused. And then perhaps recognizing who's attacking her, like mm-hmm. even in that moment. more confusing and upsetting. So Kenneth has no memory of anything in between falling asleep and seeing his mother-in-law's face. But as you mentioned, that's a little suspicious, but okay. Mm-hmm. He behaved erratically, it's clear, if she said. This is again Rosalind Carwright. He did not lock his apartment door when he left, which he was always very conscious about. He doesn't remember putting on his shoes, but clearly he did. So there are gaps in his timeline and gaps into what he remembers that he has done or not done. But how could he have managed to drive down a freeway in the state that he was? Carwright says that the aspect of the story doesn't bother her. It's a well-traveled route for him. He was used to doing it about three times a week for a long period of time. And there would be no traffic at this time of night. Then again, think of it in the way that like, do you ever just drive and then five minutes later, you're like, wow, did I just run through a red light like I was not even paying attention like you but think you it's were paying attention just like oh, yeah but fun, like or whatever yeah yes, but like yeah. do you think it's kind of like that feeling I guess I don't know it must be That's... it must be I just I can barely drive when I'm just awake and ready to go so I just cannot <laughs> picture this like are you kidding like you get into the car and if you're really asleep you make it the whole way there Carrie says where Park's case stretches what is known about such sleep disorders some is the timing most episodes she says are shorter more like 15 to 20 minutes whereas his was somewhere around half an hour so okay at least it's like sort of abnormal like you know it's kind of different because mm-hmm. i feel like it's not something you hear every day but she believes it is still within the realm of possibility and is particularly impressed by the wounds park suffered you know what like always blows my mind is these experts that testify are so sure of themselves and they are supporting whether someone did or didn't do this. And I just, this among many reasons is why I'm not a court expert. Yeah, you're right. The fact that they're 100% confident, even though they have no idea who this person is really or or anything, they're just confident in what they know exactly the facts the science whatever is behind what they know so these experts must have been extremely convincing because the jury ultimately acquitted kenneth of the murder so nothing so he literally nothing literally walks zero consequences they believe that he was sleepwalking during the murder they really buy it. Then I, again, I'm, I'm not saying that I buy one way or the other. I find both ways, whether he was guilty or innocent, difficult to comprehend. I so I don't know what I would have done in this case as a jury member, but they acquit him of the murder. So he basically walks away, except he did plead guilty for fraud for falsely billing his employer more than $30,000 to cover his gambling debt, which is like damn right. like At least, yeah. Yeah. Good. And he did make full restitution and serve no jail time. So at least he he paid he paid it back and he did spend a year in jail on the murder charges. So when he was, you know, held okay. after murder. Do we right? know um how long the jury took to deliberate? No, I don't. Because I know. wonder I'm really curious to see if it was like a 
like an easy oh. decision or if it took days. Five experts who were just coming on there being like, nope, yeah. this dude was sleepwalking. So, because maybe, yeah, maybe they were just like, hey, I'll believe the experts, right? They know. And now I wanted to talk about some legal stuff I found on Wikipedia that I felt would be important. <laughs> so, the issue before the Supreme Court was whether the condition of sleepwalking can be classified as a non insane, automistic, or should be classified as a disease of the mind, i.e. mental disorder, and warrant a verdict of not guilty for reason of insanity. This distinction is a matter of law and decided by the judge. The court upheld the acquittal as the evidence presented a reasonable doubt that Kenneth acted voluntarily. So again, like we hear this a lot in shows, but reasonable doubt, right? If there is a mm-hmm. doubt in your head that you yeah. think this person might not have done this, then you do not convict them with murder, which there is in this case, right? We can't even say for sure and we weren't even presented with we were missing a ton of evidence and information obviously but there is there is reasonable doubt like i'm questioning and i'm not sure right yeah that's fair jury that's fair the defense of mental disorder provides for a criminal exception which must be weighed against the interest of the public safety the applicability of the defense must focus on the likelihood of the reoccurrence for a person to be exempt of criminal liability under the disease of the mind defense, they must be a continuing danger to the public, and the condition must be an internal cause that stems from the accused emotional or psychological state. It is mentioned that doctors thought in this case that they testified to the fact that they didn't think he would reoffend. They thought the treatment for this was a good balance of exercise, a good diet, you know, a good night's rest, which I thought, uh, I'm never. Maybe throw oh. some pills in there or something. I don't know. Like, how, how are you so sure that he's not going to sleepwalk again? That's what I'm saying. These experts and doctors, like, I know that when you get on that stand, you have to say, like, I'm saying this or I believe this or that. But How? How can you be so sure? Mm -hmm. Because your word is causing the reasonable doubt or is supporting the reasonable doubt that the jury might be hearing or feeling. And that is deciding whether this person is going to walk free or not. So later, I believe Kenneth and Karen would go on to have six children. So it's important. (laughs) That's that's the most upsetting thing you've heard all episode. (laughs) Wow. After all of this, they have six Okay, so I'm going to say that it's, How do you it's not confirmed. <laughs> so it's not confirmed that it's with Karen, but I, I okay, so after this, there's very little information. It was very sensational because of the sleepwalking defense, and then after nothing. So it says oh. that Kenneth would go on to have six children, but it says nowhere that him and Karen separated. So I'm going to okay. go ahead and assume that they stayed together yeah. since it was reported that she supported him and the father-in-law even forgave him. I mean, realistically, though, if they weren't together, who in their right mind would be comfortable in being with him knowing this? You but know how I mean? is she comfortable? But then, like, I'm then, sorry. Then. Even if the love of my life, who I love so much and want to be with forever and have kids with and blah, 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 and had a five-month-old child with, murdered my mom while sleepwalking. I, I don't know what's worse, him intentionally murdering my mom or him unintentionally murdering my mom. <laughs> Because then yeah. it's like, you're literally like, you have no idea if they might reoffend. You have literally no idea. And they're, it's out of their control. I have so many words and no words. In 2006, an article by City News with the title, Man Acquitted of Sleepwalking Murder Running for School Trustee in Durham. 
Ontario. So this is when Kenneth's name pops up in the news again because he's running for trustee. And for those of you who don't know, a trustee is an individual person or member of a board given control or power of administration of property and trust with a legal obligation to administer it solely for the purpose specified. So basically, a trustee handles finances, property, talking about money. So you cannot run for trustee to handle someone else's money or an organization's money. If he was running for, I don't know, anything else, I would have been like, you know what? You were acquitted. That's fine. Let people not be mean to you and apparently this is all medical and it's proven and whatever a jury found you not guilty so you're allowed to move on with your life yeah but money (laughs) you were literally guilty of that like you did that thing (laughs) sir stay out of the news obviously as you can imagine it just it brought up everything up in the news again so to this kenneth said my intentions with running for school board trustee were to actively participate in a community that i am proud of not to turn the election into a circus. I ran in this election because I am very concerned about how many of our schools fell below provincial average, and I have five children in this school system. I felt as a parent that I wanted to help with correcting the problem. The issues that have been brought up were 20 years ago, and yes, are a matter of public record. Now, 20 years later, I am just a concerned parent that is trying to make sure the children of our community get the best education possible. Nothing more, nothing less. I kind of get, and I feel for him if, you know, it's all on the up and up, and that is truly what happened. Like, it's not something he meant to do, and now he's really living with the fact that he, while he was sleepwalking, killed his mother-in-law and attacked his father-in-law. But at the same time, with the financial thing, like, you should never have applied for this, to me, it feels like. Well, like that's just a bad idea. Especially, too, he kind of sounds like, in that quote, he kind of sounds irritated that people are bringing this up, but... You should just know that that's going to happen if you're if you're running for this kind of job. Yeah, you're putting yourself in public eye again, Exactly. Right? So, so many mixed feelings about this case. It's so interesting and abnormal. And, you know, I just wanted to, to give, you know, a little classic Renee rant about how the victim is not getting enough media coverage. I looked for so much information about Barbara. I tried to find even a picture of her. Could not find one. To which I don't know what we're going <laughs> to post on our social media mm. this week, but I'm I'm going to keep looking. I was on newspapers.com archive searching through every single newspaper just to find a picture of Barbara Aww. and some information about her life and who she was as a person. It seems like she got so overlooked by the sensationalism that is a sleepwalking murderer. Yeah. And uh, she was 42 at the time she was murdered. She was so young. Yeah, that's and awful. I just, I am angry about it. And like I said, we're, we're not often going to do these cases that focus. I know it's about Kenneth because it's so weird, but it shouldn't necessarily just be about Kenneth we should have mm-hmm. because should it happened to her yeah yes and i would have just like to know like what she was into what she mm-hmm. was like what she did for a living like, i want to tell you guys that but i i can't because it's not there so i'm mad about it so i mentioned the american case that uh inspired us to do this episode this week so i do want to do a bit of a shallow dive like i said earlier in the episode so we're going to talk about scott and Yarmala Falader. They have two kids, a 12-year-old boy and a 15-year-old girl. They have been married for 20 years and seem happy to all those around them. They live in a residential area of Phoenix, Arizona. On the evening of January 1997, Scott heads to bed and Yarmala is watching TV on the couch. Soon after, the Falader's neighbors hear something. So it's a couple living near them and the man looks over the fence and he sees Yarmala and she looks like she's passed out by the pool. 
So he's probably assuming, oh, she's drunk or I don't know, you know, whatever. Sometimes you, sometimes you like to like peek at your neighbors, but you don't like love to like really find out what's going on. You're just like, oh, okay, yeah. that's weird. And you like move on, right? Yeah. But then he sees Scott come out and drag Garmala's body into the pool by her arms. So they had a oh. pool in their backyard. She's passed out. Scott shows up and is dragging her into the pool. As a neighbor, like, I'd be like, hey, can you stop that? Like, what are you doing? He then holds her head underwater. The neighbor is watching this. He does not interfere, but he phones 911. Dude, he's currently honest, drowning her. I feel like I would be really scared to, to intervene. At least, okay, like, I'm not saying march down there and do something about it. At least be like, hey, I see you. You should probably stop that because I'm going to be a witness at your trial. <laughs> I don't know how I would, obviously you don't never know how you're going to react to these right. types of scenarios, but just to like watch someone physically be drowning someone and then all you do is call 911, but by the time the first responders arrive, yeah. that person is dead. When cops arrive, they find Yarmala dead in the pool. They pull her out and realize there's a ton of blood everywhere. So like, as I guess they're pulling her out, the pool is filling with blood. Yarmala had been stabbed. They enter the house and they see Scott inside at the top of the stairs. And he's like, what's going on? What are you doing in my house? Oh, God. He has no clue what has happened. So two kids I mentioned earlier are at home at this point. During the interrogation, Scott keeps repeating, I'm sorry, but I don't remember. Not, there's no way I could have done this. This wasn't me. Or I did this. Kind of like Kenneth, right? Like Kenneth was like, I did this, but I can't right. believe I did this. Yeah. He's just saying, I'm sorry, I don't remember. I'm sorry, I don't mm-hmm. remember. And this is about 10 years after the Kenneth Parks case. So originally investigators were confused because he didn't have any blood on him and he was wearing pajamas and a white t-shirt. But as they're questioning him, they noticed that he had blood on the back of his neck that wasn't so visible right at first. And obviously we're doing like a quick shallow dive because we don't really cover American cases but we're kind of speeding through this during the trial it comes out that yarmula had been stabbed 42 times wow the amount of force and energy it goes into stabbing someone 42 times it's just the most awful thing to think and man it's always the husband like pick a damn good husband guys (laughs) we're adding that to our rules pick a damn good husband (laughs) yeah please you guessed it, Scott claims that he was sleepwalking when he stabbed and drowned his wife. Do you think people hear of, like, the first case uh, we talked about and then use it as an excuse to murder? Like, maybe he heard it and he's like, I hate my wife, I need her gone. And then he was like, I could just say that I'm sleepwalking, let's do it. Well, the thing that is very evident in the Kennex Parks case is that if you commit a murder and it doesn't make sense either way, whether you're guilty or not, you're not covering up your crime, but you're sticking around and acting confused, it seems like the sleepwalking defense could work for you. But again, why risk it, right? Because if you just get divorced, but but why risk it? Because if that's the thought process that this guy had, like, I know this worked for this person because it wasn't like it was a sensational case. Like they made headlines everywhere. Yeah. That's his thought process. You're really gambling with your future and your life here that you think that you can use the same defense and get away with it. So there's a lot of evidence against Scott, but I mean, there was a lot of evidence against Kenneth, right? Like Mm -hmm. Scott's mom would say after she thought about it, she remembers that he used to sleepwalk when he was a kid and never had any memory of what he did while sleepwalking. Scott apparently was also exhausted and stressed from work, similar to Kenneth. Scott also does a sleep study, but nothing is out of the ordinary. So that is where there's kind of a difference. But then I'm thinking, if this happens like once in a blue moon, what are the chances that 
you see something on an EEG. So now the reason we're all here and why I picked this case is Roger Broughton and Rosalind Carwright, which we have just talked about, two experts that were witnesses that testified in Kenneth's case. They head to Arizona and they both, as credible witnesses, testify, since the cases are so similar, they testify to the possibility that Scott could have been sleepwalking. So I don't think in, in this, like, it's not like they say, like, oh, we're on Scott's side, like, he's not guilty. But they get asked questions, right? Yeah. Like, we've all seen the lawyer shows or whatever. <laughs> they get asked questions, and they respond. And so they're responding that it could have been, or it's a possibility that it could have been, or it's happened before, and there goes that reasonable doubt yeah it's also suggested during the trial that again what you're not supposed to do is wake up a sleepwalker so the scenario that's suggested is that scott was doing something near the pool or you know cleaning the filter or something and yarmula comes up behind him and tries to get his attention mm. and is i guess either aware or unaware that he's sleepwalking if it's not something he had done in the recent past i'm assuming unaware and she wakes him up and he goes straight into defense mode and this would all be maybe okay but now my question to you scott is where and when did you get the knife because what he stabbed her with was not only a knife it was a hunting knife (gasps) different from the kenneth parks case In the case of Scott, the investigators were searching uh, around the house, obviously, after the murder happened, right? Evidence, all all that good stuff. And they find in Scott's car a sealed Tupperware with all of his murder clothes and the hunting knife he used to kill Yarmula. I have to say, if we compare both cases, Scott is either lying or while he was sleepwalking, he not only committed this crime, but he also covered it up. Mm -hmm. So I have to say, quite the clever, you know planner of a sleepwalker because he thought i did this and i'm gonna cover it up all while i'm sleepwalking and then i'm just gonna mysteriously wake up when the cops get here yeah like he actually like attempted to cover it up that screams guilty way more than kenneth's case but if you're looking at kenneth's case like how far-fetched is it that scott could have also been sleepwalking oh like no you're right right, you know but like okay Mm -hmm. you are covering it up but kenneth drove across a freeway in his car (laughs) so who is to say what makes more sense or not the most mind-blowing thing to renee is that he drove (laughs) no i can't get over it i can't get over it i got onto the highway and my like blood's pumping i'm stressed i'm trying to merge and this man fully asleep just do 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 like (laughs) renee's the type of person to enter in her gps the address where she's going to and click avoid highways it's always on i don't need to click it it's on I love it. Yeah, so you're telling me that Kenneth is okay driving his car, but Scott is in trouble because he put away his murder clothes in a Tupperware. I know those are different things, but it's just (laughs) when you claim sleepwalking, it's just bonkers. Yes, like what are we supposed to say? Uh, What do you want us to say? I don't know. Scott takes the stand and he says that he could have never done this, that he loved his wife. But a co-worker of Scott's then gets on the stand after this and says that Scott called Yarmala dumpy and said that dumpy women make good wives. Wait, what the heck is dumpy? (laughs) Like you got a big dump? Like you got a big like what no no like i feel like it means like a dumpster okay wait wait this is talked about in the tco episode the true crime obsessed episode and it said that it might have been paraphrasing but basically what he's saying is like not really like taking care of themselves like not the best looking person 
Okay, let me get some, like, urban dictionary. Uh, <laughs> a person who is short and stout. Like, this dress makes her look dumpy. Other similar words, short, squat, stubby, plump, stout, chubby, chunky. So basically, he's being a jerk. Especially, like, in a partnership, like a marriage or, like, a long-term relationship. Like, there's so much you both do for each other. And for someone to disrespect the other person mm-hmm. like that and to talk to, like, a coworker or someone who's, like, right. not even relevant in their life and say something like that, that would hurt so much. <laughs> Scott, you're done. You're done. But the jury finds Scott guilty of first degree murder so yes so they didn't buy it scott whether you did it or not Mm -hmm. whatever you're selling the jury did not buy i wonder like if that was the exact same jury for kenneth's case if kenneth would have been good question well it's all about like where you're from and background yeah like jury management it's perception right and then depending who your jurors are their conversations in the jury room like deliberating like i'm sure that also oh i wish we could know i know right yeah because you're so right like it Mm -hmm. does to a certain extent matter who the jury is right and americans versus canadians like there is a difference right so Mm -hmm. i don't know and then your defense attorney versus a prosecutor judge it all matters yeah so yes, those are two very strange cases of sleepwalkers or people claiming they were sleepwalking while committing murder. So let's all now be very terrified of our partners or our family yes. members while we sleep. And I yeah. wish us all good luck. And um, these are really one in a million. So try not to be too worried tonight. This week, we will be donating to Victim Services Durham Region. This is from their website. We are a team of crisis intervention counselors, prevention facilitators, advocates, students, and volunteers who are committed to helping people in Durham region who have experienced the unthinkable. If you would like to contribute to Victim Services Durham region, the link to donate will be in our description and Instagram slash TikTok bio. Pictures for this case will be posted on our Instagram, so please follow us at Terrible True Crime. And if you enjoy the show, please subscribe and leave us a review below. If you have any case suggestions, please send us a message on our socials or email us at terribletruecrime at gmail.com. Thank you for joining us and see you next time.